You're listening to the Fulcher Ireland Inside Tourism Business Podcast, the definitive podcast for tourism operators, bringing you expert advice, insights, and practical tools to help you navigate the challenges your business is facing. My name is Ruth Hegarty, and I'm your host for the first series of Fulcher Ireland's new podcast, where we delve inside food, examining trends, innovations, and tackling costs to help you run a leaner, more successful food operation. Welcome back to Fall to Ireland's Inside Tourism Business Podcast. This is episode six of our Inside Food series. In today's episode, we're focusing on data analysis. And joining me to discuss this are two very successful hospitality industry entrepreneurs who are very familiar with the importance of crunching the numbers. Carl Purdy, Managing Director of Coffee Angel in Dublin, and Louise Palmer Masterton, founder of STEM and Glory, a vegan restaurant chain in Cambridge and London in the UK. You're both very welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Hello. Thanks, Ruth. Delighted to be involved. So to kind of jump right into that, Carl, if it's not too obvious a question, what do we mean by data? What kind of data are we talking about here? Well, I, th- I think d- d- data in itself, you know, it's, it's always been a part of, of hospitality. I mean, 30 years ago when I was, was getting started, I, I realized very early on that it was important to remember people's names. So, you know, I had a little cheat sheet kind of stuck on the top of the, the cash drawer and I'd write people's names down and maybe, you know, pink hair or a certain character trait that I could remember the next time. So data has always been a part of the business. And I think today we obviously have a lot more information coming at us from all angles. So I think data to me is information that you can use to make a tangible benefit either to your business or to the customer experience or you know how easy it is for your staff to do their job. So it, it's a number of things, not just people's names, but sales information, labor costs, all those other things that make businesses tick. Okay, so it's a broad range, really, we're talking about not just that hard business data, but also that kind of getting to know your customer type of information as well. Oh, absolutely. And so, Louise, what would be the really key data that you think every business should be collecting? Well, I think that we're living in a time of data overload, so it can be a bit overwhelming to know where to start, I think. So sort of simplistically, I think data falls into one of two sort of camps, really. And the first is to do with data that informs your sales and marketing. And the second is the data, the crucial data, which will assist you in assessing the performance of your business. So, for example, in terms of sales and marketing, key and absolutely crucial bit of data for us, and it still absolutely drives our business, is a database. In other words, an email database of all your customers and subscribers which you can then quite simply use for driving literally e-blasts and emails. But you can also use this data in conjunction with your Facebook page to drive advertising towards your targeted audience. And also from your audience on Facebook, you can create something which is called a lookalike audience, which means you're really targeting your adverts at people who have similar likes um, and preferences to your people who actually come through the door of your restaurant. So this is absolutely invaluable, but it starts with collecting those emails addresses. So strategies to do that are very, very important in our business and always have been. But in terms of the the data that helps you assist the performance of your business, I think really simply 
knowing your best sellers, critically important. Never ask your chefs, by the way, what are your best sellers? <laughs> this is the thing with data. You know, you have your gut feeling and your instinct, and as, as do your chefs and everybody else who works in your business. But it's really good to be able to back that up with data. And often what our chefs have told us are our best sellers are actually not our best sellers. Um, knowing your gross profit is very, very important. And quite simply, that means just knowing how much the dishes cost that you've got on your menu. And then the labour cost is a very important thing to track as well. And, and both those last two, you want to create some meaningful targets with those and kind of edge yourself ever towards those and constantly trying to improve. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the ways that you gather those essential pieces of data? Yeah, so, I mean, quite simply, in terms of sales and marketing, a capture form on your website, for example. But, you know, a lot of people fall short. Putting a capture form on your website will catch a number of people, but it won't catch nearly as many people as if you target it specifically. For example, we've got one on our website running at the moment, which is enter your details to win free pizza. You know, pizza's always a winner. And that is much more effective than just having enter your email address to get all the news. So it's about thinking of creative ways of creating that data and then putting it to good use. And always take advantage of the opportunities to collect data is another thing I would always say. Don't ever give up. You know, whenever we go out and about, we're always using the same kind of initiatives, for example, winner free this or free that. And in this exchange, I like to think of sales and marketing intrinsically linked. And you have two opportunities with a sale. One is you're going to make a direct sale. Two is you're going to get someone's email address so you can make a sale later. It's about kind of creating all of your marketing materials towards getting one of those two things, really. Carl, maybe you've got something more to say about the collecting of the data from a more business perspective. Well, well, I think the kind of the old methods that we might have used in terms of, of just taking the people who maybe purchase something from our website, or we would have had a free Wi-Fi system in our shops and, and, and people's email addresses would have been captured there. GDPR a couple of years ago kind of made us have to rethink and reassess how we gather data and obviously people's data is much more valuable to them. So, you know, we kind of take a softly, softly approach in that regard, just to make people feel safe, that, that we're not misusing or selling their data, something that we would never do. But, you know, I think you do need to provide a little bit of assurance to people. So, yeah, I mean, we would capture uh, data very similar to yourself, Louise, in terms of on our website, competitions are great. But we would also ensure that if we are using someone's email, that it's followed up with an email confirming that we can use it. So they're opting in to the communication piece. At the same time, we have sort of a nuclear button, you know, uh, in our back end where if someone does want their data deleted, that we can just push that. and It's pretty much wiped away from our system. So I think it's just to be aware of, I suppose, GDPR, the rules that go around it, but also how people feel about being communicated to and everyone's market and customer base may be slightly different. The younger generation may be more comfortable with it, the older generation maybe not. But I think that's probably up to individual businesses to kind of figure out and assess for themselves. Carl, then coming to, you know, as Louise mentioned, you've got your kind of sales and marketing data, and then you've got your hard biz business performance data. So I suppose what kind of systems would you have in place to gather that information and importantly, to analyze it? Well, I think it's important to recognize that if anyone is using kind of the modern point of sale systems or, or purchasing and inventory systems, that you can almost be buried in data between PDFs and, and CSV files and Excel spreadsheets. So I think it's important to 
First, figure out your priorities, much like Louise alluded to at the start, the key drivers of your business, the things that you want to tackle. So obviously for for us, it's about the sales data and most modern point of sale systems do have quite good reporting. I should mention though that you know, with any of these systems, the data you get out is kind of only as good as the data that you put in. So there is a little bit of heavy lifting at the start with all of these. If you're going to try tracking the the gross profit, you need to make sure that you have those costs input. You know, making sure that your your tax rates are right. And you know, the point of sale system is invaluable for telling you how much of something you sold. Maybe the gross profit on it footfall. You know, they sometimes provide hourly graphs that tell you when you're busiest and when you're quietest, you know, maybe that's a time to focus on. So for us, we have three pillars in our business that we kind of focus on. So obviously the sales information, labor costs, which play a a huge role in in hospitality, and then kind of our purchasing and inventory. And that kind of tells us our gross profits on an ongoing basis. So we try to distill it down to those three and keep it as simple as we can when necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And Louise, do you find that as well, that sometimes businesses can be gathering huge amounts of data, but they're really just drowning in all of that information and not putting it into use. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a bit overwhelming, especially if you're relatively new to this, because you hear all this stuff about what you should be doing. And I mean, there's a big difference between EPOS systems, by the way, that some are quite simple and straightforward. They all have kind of basic functionality, but some of these are huge. When we first started, we got approached by a lot of these really big companies and it's you, you almost need a full-time person just to manage the machine in, in that, those cases. So I think that you know, the longer you stay in the business, the better you get at it and the more you understand it. But don't try to understand it all when you first start out because you don't really need to and you don't need this real high level of sophistication. I mean, the key things are understanding your cost base, your sales and and your labor costs. And, and there are quite straightforward ways to do that without disappearing down the rabbit hole of EPOS systems, of which there are so many now. Yeah, just pick one, stick with it and and, and see how it goes would be my advice. So not necessarily complicated high-tech solutions for everyone. It's no. really the right solution and the right fit for your business. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything, like Carl said, it's like garbage in, garbage out, isn't it? It is about how you use the system, but don't, maybe don't try to, to be so ambitious. We have a very good um, recipe manager system now, which is outside of our EPOS system. It does give us the data we could put into the EPOS if we wanted to, but we kind of use it in different ways. And a recipe management and resource is extremely valuable. There are a number of those on the market. And again, you know, there is a bit of heavy lifting at the beginning and you need to expect that. But one thing we've done in our business now is that nothing hits the menu until it's been through this process. And we use a multiplier now across all our dishes. So it's literally a case of that's the cost and that's how much we charge for it on our menu and we don't waver from that and that's been incredibly useful for us because you know there's all this talk about price points and that there was a heavy thing in discounting which I really hope doesn't come back on the other side of when we're opening again so I think knowing how much your dish costs using your multiplier and then charging accordingly is really important for the bottom line of your business and if that's what you need to charge then that's what you should charge. Yeah absolutely I mean if you don't get those basics right uh, nothing else really is going to work no amount of gathering data I suppose is going to well going to help. Um, No exactly I mean if you get the data and it tells you this but you do something different then that's been a useless exercise isn't it? Well, exactly. And this was the next thing that I wanted to ask you is around then, you know, taking that data and using it to inform your strategy. I mean, Carl, what are the key ways to respond to the data? 
Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, I kind of referenced 30 years ago and how much things have changed in that time. And I think one of the the huge benefits of data today is is almost its immediacy. You know, long gone are the days where you would kind of get to your month end and then you'd wait another two or three weeks for your accountant or financial controller to tell you how your business was doing. I think, you know, I don't know anyone in hospitality today who can afford to wait that long to kind of figure out how they're performing. So I think as owners, there's a lot more control and a lot more insight that you can actually glean from your systems, from the data that you're getting, where you can be agile, nimble, you can respond to the things that maybe aren't working almost immediately. And likewise, you can put greater energy and emphasis on the things that are, you know, that are actually succeeding for you. Again, you can get lost in in, in a lot of it, but you do need to respond to it if you see it. If sales are tumbling, you need to start asking questions, why and, and how do I fix that? I think t- today, data allows us to be nimble, agile, responsive, and, and don't leave it six weeks or eight weeks to fix a problem. And Carl, in your experience, does analyzing the data and the, the numbers always kind of tell you what you need to know? Well, I think if you distill it down, which I, I tend to try to simplify things, you know, I, I think if sales are good, it, it generally tells you that your customers are happy and you should try to keep pushing in that direction. If say, you know, if the figures are bad, um, you know, that, that there's something wrong and you need to figure out what that is. There's things we can't control in our industry. You can't control the weather or a pandemic or anything else, whether it's strikes. So for me, I, I tend to, to look at the numbers as pragmatically as I can. I, I talked about immediacy at the same time, you know, there, you do need to invest in certain things, take a chance and and make sure you give things a chance to improve or at least give it a, a time to bet in, win or lose. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the numbers, they're a very good guide to how you're doing, but don't ever underestimate talking to customers. That doesn't go away just because you have lots of data. See how you know they're feeling. As distant as we are now, hospitality is as best as a face-to-face business. Mm, okay, that's really interesting. In terms of the industry as a whole and kind of industry standards around kind of targets and benchmarks, are there particular things that people should be looking for in their data and benchmarking themselves against in terms of industry standards? Yeah, I mean, of course, there is the the absolute, isn't there, with the industry standards, you know, you should have your GP margin should be 70% or above, your labour costs should be 30% or less, and then your rent should be less than 9%, rent rates and sort of overheads less than 9%. And I, I don't think anyone really in their right mind is going to tinker too far from that, because this is kind of it's a standard within the industry. But, you know, there's always trade-offs going to be within that. It's not a hard and fast rule. Like, for example, we're a fairly high, slightly higher labour cost kind of business by the nature of the food that we prep. And other businesses won't have so much on prep, but maybe their cost of ingredients might be slightly higher. So I think you've got to create a meaningful interpretation of that for your specific business. And then I think, you know, you have to have an understanding of how a hospitality business runs For example, yes, labour costs, you would ideally want under 30%. But when you first open your doors as a new establishment, and I'm speaking here from experience, if you are so focused on having a 30% labour cost, you're likely to come unstuck because if you're a new business in a new location and you're opening for the first time, you want to staff up. It's the most important thing, you know, that your guests have a pleasant experience. So if you're too strict with your labour costs at that point, when you haven't got a settled stream of customers, 
then you do run the risk of giving your customers a, a less attentive experience, which will have an impact on your business. So you definitely need to staff up. And in order to do that, you need to kind of let go of your 30% expectation for a while. Maybe you need to kind of have your labor cost 30% kicking in at a certain point and you want to monitor that and move towards it. But definitely you need to be a bit more flexible in the beginning. And of course, that does mean that you need to put that into your cash flow when you first open. Yeah, Carl, you mentioned as well about allowing time to, to kind of bed things in and give a chance to see if things are working. So is, is that your experience as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that the business that I'm in is very different to a Michelin star restaurant or, or a vegan restaurant. Our spend per head is significantly less than, you know, a, a two-star restaurant. So our costings will be slightly different. I think giving things time, Louise is right. The customer experience, that's almost everything in terms of success. The better you can make that, the better chance you stand of repeat business, of word of mouth, all those really good feel-good factors that help build your business up. So knee-jerk reactions are, are probably not very helpful whenever you're just getting started. Paying attention to what's working is probably more important in those early days, making sure that the customer experience is good, that you might see the same face coming back again, or hearing that someone recommended, you know, then that the customer came into you. So, I mean, things like that are, are really important, but I tend to monitor the numbers daily and make the bigger decisions quarterly based on trends. But I mean, if something isn't working, you can see that it's just tanking. I would make a change pretty quickly, but you do need to give the bigger kind of conceptual items uh, more time to bet in. Great. We'll be right back to uh, our discussion with Carl and Louise after a short pause to hear about Fulcher Ireland supports. Fulcher Ireland's new breakfast toolkit contains expert advice and practical tools that are applicable to all areas of food and service. You can find the breakfast toolkit and more helpful supports and guidance on the operational performance section under strategic F&B operations on our COVID-19 business support hub at falchaireland.ie. Great. So we were speaking a bit there about um, targets around labour costs, GPs and so on. And there are calculators uh, for all of those in the Breakfast Innovation Toolkit that's been created by Falcha Ireland. And that's on the COVID-19 business support sub on falchaireland.ie. So I suppose coming back to the kind of customer insights side of things and your sales and marketing data, Louise, I might come to you first on this, just in terms of the kind of customer insights you can gather and what insights the data can provide. Can you talk a little bit more on that and, and how you use those then? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like, I guess, different from the hard data that you gather in what we've just been discussing, all margins and cost control, etc. So, I mean, there's, again, there's an awful lot of data you can collect here. So kind of pick some that's meaningful to you and then put that to good use. Again, don't try and do it all. <laughs> I mean, some things, for example, customer insights um, and things I like looking at. So we have two sites, for example, one is in London and one in Cambridge. And, and there's really quite a big difference between how the customers behave in our two restaurants in terms of how much they spend. Dwell time is another thing which is important. And actually, in terms of data, that's actually quite a significant thing we didn't mention yet is what's called table turn time. So table turn, I mean, in the ideal scenario in a restaurant, you're constantly turning your tables. Customers come in, they eat the meal, they finish the meal and off they go, you seat the table again. And so it goes on and increasing table turn, sorry, decreasing table turn time so you can get more people, more throughput is an important thing as well. However, 
again, if you get too hung up on that, that can become like a rod on your back because our London dwell time, for example, is closer to 90 minutes and you can extract this data from your EPOS systems. But our Cambridge is close to 60 minutes, which would make you sort of instinctively think we need to get the customers in London moving faster. But our London customers spend more per head. So allowing more table time there doesn't actually affect our bottom line. So you don't want to be hurrying people out at a London site because there's a very good chance they're going to continue spending money. But, you know, key thing there, obviously, is to make your staff aware of this. So they're not allowing people to dwell at the table for very long periods just by providing an internet service. But there's an exchange and a communication going on between your customers and your staff. So understanding customer demographic is spoken about an awful lot, but it's kind of like the holy grail. And how does it actually work in real time? So understanding the customer demographic, you can collect the information. But here's a very simple example of that. We did some customer profiling and discovered that the majority of our customers define as flexitarian rather than vegan. And we did a sample amongst our customer base. That's how we managed that. We asked the question. And so if we know that the majority of our customers define as flexitarian, we would be well advised to target our messaging towards flexitarians rather than vegans, which might seem a little bit counterintuitive, obviously, because we're a vegan restaurant. But I think that's a key and important significance in terms of understanding your demographic and then how do you actually put it into practice? Yeah, absolutely. Has the data that you gathered around your customers helped you to pivot and reach your customers and and keep your kind of brand identity without a doubt and i mean some of it has happened purely by accident you know as an example when we we first had to close down online was a very small part of our monthly business less than 2% so almost immediately it was our only revenue stream much like many others so we started sending coffees out the, the online business was kind of kickstarted purely by social media it was a tweet i put out having sat at home for one day and I kind of looked around and, and for someone who's used to being in the office at half past six and checking out the shops as they're getting ready to open, um, sitting at home uh, is a very uncomfortable uh, experience for me. So I, I put a tweet out just saying, if anybody needs coffee tomorrow, I'll drive it to your house as in, you know, beans or ground or whatever. I went to bed and I woke up to 200 orders the following morning and spent the next three or four days driving around Dublin, um, delivering coffee to, to people who would have ordinarily been coming in and out of our shops. So that kind of kickstarted our online business. But what then transpired was I started watching the orders coming in and, and every order that came in, I, you know, I wanted to personally thank the customer for their support. So I would handwrite a little note, making sure that I got their name spelt right. And, you know, if they had a fada in their name, I put the fada there, just, you know, paying attention to the small things, adding a little bit of humanity to the online experience. And I'd sent it out and, you know, it was warmly received. People commented how nice it was to get a message on social media. But then maybe a couple of weeks later, I'd recognize a name, you know, I'd say, oh, there's Ruth. Ruth has ordered again. I wonder if that's the Ruth that ordered two weeks ago. And then I'd kind of go and I'd cross-check my payments and the emails. And I'd say, oh, you know, Ruth had ordered two weeks ago. I better write her another note. But I made sure that I would write her a different note. So acknowledging that she had been with us before and I appreciate the ongoing support or however I phrased it. And that little bit of data became like a touchstone, kind of a centerpiece of our online business was acknowledging that kind of that human connection, that repeat business. And I suppose it's kind of taking a lot of what makes kind of bricks and mortar face-to-face -face hospitality so wonderful is that human connection. And I think 
just being able to look at that little piece of data in terms of had they ordered before allowed us to personalize the online experience. And it kind of continued to build and we got smarter at it. We got faster at it. And I think it was something that was, was absolutely invaluable to us actually making it through the last year. It was just that little piece of humanity and um, connection that we could make with people. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, I suppose we are all about hospitality and we want to keep that human connection. But it's interesting to see how you can kind of use hard data and and soft data as well, I suppose, to support that. Louise, in terms of the customer information that you've been gathering, and like I suppose a lot of businesses maybe have almost felt like they were starting over again when COVID hit, like Carl going out and, you know, delivering the coffee himself. But the information that they may have gathered about their customers and the leads, as you said, the contacts they had gathered meant that they weren't starting all over again, that they had customers there that they could reach out to. Did you find that you were able to go out and almost talk to your customers and find out what to do next? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it's been an interesting experience the last year on many, many different levels. And it's actually quite good to hear some positive stories coming out of it as well. I mean, one of the first things that we did is we got in touch with our, we have quite a large database anyway, but we got in touch with them and we created a focus group. And so we got willing subscribers who were willing to then answer a number of questions in more detail from us about, well, basically what to do next. And a lot of the things we were asking them about was to do with what we have now launched in our online store, which is basically ready meals, kind of vegan goods. And we've just launched vegan pizza actually as well. So the questions were things like, you know, what would they order, listing different ideas and different options and things that they might order. And it gave us a very, very strong case for what we have eventually launched, which was basically chilled, ready meals and, and the kind of restaurant in the home experience. But having that backed up, and it was quite convincingly backed up. For example, we also asked them about frozen ready meals, and that was very, very small compared to the chilled ready meals, which is what we send out. And, and having that was invaluable. And obviously having that database as the platform then to launch the online store, and both in terms of direct mail, letting them know that we were open, and then in terms of also using our database without going into too much details but you can use your data to create an audience on Facebook which you can then serve ads on Facebook and Instagram and with your I think I mentioned this already but anyway you can create your lookalike audience and then of course using that to drive new customers because obviously we've got our existing customers but this will then bring new customers to the online store and then of course the whole thing is a great synergy in the end once we open again because then hopefully We've got new people, new subscribers to our online store that we can then encourage to come to our restaurants as well. So, yeah, it's been a huge learning and quite positive experience, really. And, yeah, absolutely 100 percent driven by the data and the information gathered. So I suppose you've both mentioned a couple of different kind of platforms and and tools. Carl, you mentioned putting out a tweet um, when COVID hit first. And Louise, you've talked about Facebook and email. So just like to talk to each of you a little bit about what, because you're both quite different businesses, which platforms and tools you really find effective in terms of communicating both your brand values um, and also increasing your your sales opportunities. Louise, I might start with you on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you're probably going to get a different answer from myself and Carl, because I know that Carl is a, a big Twitter user. So it's interesting. I think a really good thing with all marketing tools is to use what you're familiar with. And it's not necessary to use them all. So we don't have anywhere near as big a following on Twitter, for example, as we do on Instagram and Facebook. So it's kind of a no-brainer, but also at the same time, obviously the reason we've got those big audiences is because it's something that's worked better for us. 
So, I mean, I would say for us, MailChimp is still our workhorse, not just for actual sending of emails, collecting of emails, but also you can analyze. For example, you send an email out with various different things in it. You can analyze and see how many clicks something got, which obviously will gauge the amount of interest in something in a dish, for example, or a special offer. So yeah, MailChimp, there are others apart from MailChimp, but that's the one that we use. Instagram, Facebook are extremely useful. Another tool that we use now, which is a little bit more advanced, I suppose, is something called ManyChat. And this is kind of new tech, really, new ways of using data. Now, ManyChat is what's called a bot. Hopefully, you know what a bot is. It's basically an automation which runs in conjunction with Facebook Messenger. Uh, I had lots of views about this before I started using it, meaning like I wasn't really that keen. I didn't think it was going to work. But <laughs> I was convinced by the data that came from that. So it's basically you take target ads towards customers. The action that they take is to subscribe to the Messenger bot, the bot replies automatic. It's all automatic with various different options. It's basically an offer. And the end result is that the person comes into your restaurant, they redeem their offer, they put their table spend, what they've spent in your restaurant, which all goes into a massive giant spreadsheet, and you get all kinds of information. You get email information, you get customer information, the amount of times they visited, how much they spent, and you get the all-important figure, which is the real holy grail, which is the return on investment for your marketing spend. So that's a little bit more in, in advanced, but it's good to have in, in your mind because that's the way that all this stuff is going and it's getting smarter and easier all the time. Yeah, and I, I suppose it can be maybe a bit overwhelming for people initially. They feel that, you know, it might be difficult to get to grips with the tech, but I mean, they do provide you with a lot of the data presented quite simply in many cases, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that's just something to have. It is presented simply once you get it set up. But that whole system that I've just described, it starts with Facebook subscribers, basically. So that's, you know, good to have in mind building an audience on Facebook. Carl, which platforms then do you find are most effective for you in terms of reaching your customers? Well, I mean, I'm, I've obviously mentioned Twitter. I don't think I actually find Twitter that great of a sales tool. I think it's good for messaging and, and kind of keeping your profile out there. But I think the fact that you, you scroll so quickly past something that and the feeds are never ending that, you know, your message can get lost pretty quickly. I think social media and that whole concept of it can be terrifying. I mean, I'm of a kind of an older generation, so it's not kind of a, a natural skill set that I have, but I think it's an absolutely essential piece of your toolbox for, for any business going forward. And it's a constantly evolving toolbox. I mean, LinkedIn, I find that I, I communicate with a lot of our business customers. I, I used LinkedIn almost like a, a therapy session. You know, I could put up little videos and I'd, I'd hear back from people who might be in a similar situation. It could be the fruit and veg supplier and he's struggling or, you know, Instagram is great. As Louise mentioned, that's very, very successful for us. But some things that we don't use, which we're already now looking at are things like Pinterest, and TikTok, again, our audience is quite varied. We have everything from 16-year-olds to 60-plus coming in and out of our shops. So I think you need to understand who your customer base is and and how you can communicate with them best. I mean, Louise has, has mentioned Facebook and lookalike audiences. Those are great, great tools. I think you know it's probably wise to maybe start with something that you're familiar with because you can get lost in the apps and the platforms and what you're trying to achieve. There's a lot of benefit out there, but like most of what we've been talking about today, I think it, it's important to kind of drill down to something simple and focus on that and then watch the results and either make changes or 
push forward with certain things. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, look, we've been talking about data and a lot of that is around technology and we talked about these different platforms, but as we touched on earlier, ultimately we are a people business that is hospitality. And I mean, is there something to be said for just old fashioned talking to your customers as well and just getting their feedback face to face? And if you are doing that, I suppose, how do you actually use that and maybe feed, feed that information back? Oh, I mean, you know, the amount of customers we interact with on a daily basis now is a fraction of, of what we would have done 12 months ago. But I, th- I think given the kind of the COVID concerns that people have, no one spends too much time in any premises. It's very much an in and out scenario. But I mean, hearing uh, what people are saying, when are they coming back? What's, you know, when we closed and reopened, albeit limited, you know, we scaled everything back in terms of our menu offer. We tried to make things as efficient as possible. We listen to our staff in terms of what they're feeding back to us. We have a little live chat on our website now, Intercom, amazing Irish company. So if customers have questions, we can almost respond immediately if they're looking for advice. You know, that human connection is still there, albeit we're, you know, we're divided by keyboards or the ether, internet ether. But, you know, I think it, it's important to listen. And again, much like the data, you know, customers can communicate in so many different ways now, whether it is a direct message on Twitter or something on Instagram, whether it's uh, email, you know, is still used, albeit a much less. So I think it's just important to listen and be prepared to, you know, to accept that things are still going to change. Even when we do get back open, I do think that a lot of the changes that have occurred over the last month or the last year are are going to stick with us. People will still be comfortable, much more comfortable going forward using the online, being marketed to via Facebook or or Instagram. And, you know, I think it's it's making sure that you're obviously set up to to get back to what you used to do, but also be prepared that part of your business may still remain virtual. And for people like me, that that's no bad thing. As challenging as the last year has been, much like Louise said, there's been some amazing wins and things that I've learned that, you know, I've learned probably more in the last 12 months than I've learned in the last 12 years. And that's good. And surviving it is more important, but there's lots of lessons to take out of this and go forward. And Louise, what about in your experience, you know, how is there ways that we can bridge that gap, you know, use the tech to gather and analyze the data, but, but keep that human touch and contact as well? Yeah, I think the, the explosion of digital tech has been interesting. It's been interesting to consider customer service in a different way. For example, there's a plethora of order at table apps and all of that tech at the moment. And so, you know, the question was, how do we then engage with our customers? Because it's a different way. So if your customers sat at the table ordering themselves, I'm not saying we've 100% moved towards that because it's a big shift for everyone to take, including our staff as well as our customers. But for me, the idea of a customer being enabled, I'm very tech myself. I love this tech. And so being able to do that bit myself, but engage with the staff in another way is an extremely good opportunity, I think, to create a different sort of relationship with the customers. So you're no longer got a staff member there looking at an iPad, inputting data or writing an order down, but you can make direct eye contact with that customer. You can talk to them about the menu. You can get to know them a little. You can ask them questions, you know, about who they are, where they come from, just general chat. And I think that level of engagement is actually is going to bring more to the table. So the tech will enable a higher level of engagement and more human touch, which is a little bit counterintuitive because a lot of people were very resistant to using this kind of tech, especially in a 
kind of dining um, establishment. I think it's quite different in a fast service, but in a dining establishment, you know, people were thinking that this sort of tech is going to be the death of hospitality. You know, all our staff are going to be automatons. You're never going to see anybody. But we found the opposite, really. Great. So just to wrap up then, I mean, obviously, a lot of restaurants and hotels are closed at the moment. But in this period, as people are preparing to to reopen, would you have one or two top tips on maybe steps they can take now to improve their data analysis and to gain greater understanding of their business for when they reopen? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm on social media a fair bit. And I mean, I know that there's so many businesses out there who are already communicating with their customers. I think it's keeping those channels open, much like Louise has said, you know, if you are able to email customers, do that directly. It's an absolutely immensely successful way to communicate with people. If they don't want to be communicated with, they'll simply unsubscribe. I think let them know what's happening. Maybe let them know if your menu has changed or if your procedures have changed, if you're offering click and collect, if you're offering ready meals. I think it's a matter of just being prepared for the change that's coming. Obviously, hospitality at the heart of it is making people feel good. So, you know, reassure them, do that in whatever way you can, whether it is by social media or direct marketing. I think that's probably my best tip going forward. Great. Louise? Top tips? Well... I've said it twice already, but if you don't do it already, make effort to collect people's emails and contact details and use them to create, as well as direct mail, lookalike audience on Facebook. It's a very valuable marketing tool at the moment. Work out your GP margin on everything you sell. Set a markup formula and stick to it. That's important. Analyze your bestsellers. Don't be afraid to make changes. Create some sales targets. That's always good to give people something to move towards and meaningful labor cost targets in line with what we discussed earlier, particularly when you're a new business. And keep it simple. Keep it simple always. Absolutely. And I think that that is a key message that people shouldn't be overwhelmed and should really start with what's familiar, as you said earlier, and start with the basics and work from there. So that brings us to the end of our sixth and penultimate episode of the Inside Food series. My thanks to Louise and Carl for joining us today and sharing their knowledge. Much appreciated. You can find a number of practical tools to help you analyze your data in the Breakfast Innovation Toolkit on the COVID-19 Business Supports Hub at falltoireland.ie. I'll be back in the final episode with Brian Davern of the Press Up Hospitality Group and Professor Peter Jones of Wentworth Jones Hospitality Consultancy and Dean of the eHotelier Academy when we examine emerging trends in technology. Until then, goodbye. The Inside Tourism Business Podcast is brought to you by Falcha Ireland, the National Tourism Development Authority. Subscribe now on your favourite streaming platform and join us next time for more expert advice and insights.